But we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. He will guide us in all truth. When we are coming to the Word of God, do you take time to pray and say, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to teach me your Word. He's the author of the Word. He knows it, right? And so can He not teach us? I've given you tools, and if you still not sure how to use them, there's tools available, and some of them online, whatever you need to do, but to find out, you know, you come across certain words, and sometimes I still find myself doing this. I come across words, and I'm like, I think that means, but I'm not sure what that means, because I've never used that word in my entire life. What I've learned to do is just stop. Look it up. Because if I don't know the meaning of the word, then I kind of lose the whole meaning of the sentence, don't I? The disciple also is to earnestly contend for the faith. Jude, as he's writing his letter, says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which once delivered unto the saints. Christian, we have the very words of God, the truth of God's word, and we need to defend it. We need to earnestly contend for it and not allow the world to try to change it and muddy it and cloud it up and come up with all these versions and perversions that are out there. But you and I need to stand for what is truth and what is right. Here's the problem. People say, but how do you know it's right? Well, because God said so. It's not what I said. It's what God said. But it's hard to fight or contend for something you don't understand. This is why it's important we're in the Word of God. So if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. So the Bible disciples continue in the word to show that you are his disciple. And ye shall know the truth. Brings us to our second point, the Bible discerned. The word know there is the Greek word gnosko. It has the idea of to come to know. Okay, so there's two types. There's several words in Greek for knowledge. Some is to know by experience. Some is to know by having to learn it. And this is the one that you have to learn, okay? You have to come to know. You have to study. It's not like once you're saved, you're all of a sudden zapped with all this Bible knowledge. And by the way, let me tell you something. Bible college didn't all of a sudden zap a bunch of Bible knowledge, so no preacher is a Bible-walking encyclopedia, I promise you. But we need to be careful because... We really, truly, I don't believe, even understand the deception of our own hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our hearts can deceive us. Our hearts are wicked. The flesh is wicked. You know, my wife and I were out in our backyard yesterday trying to clean up, and that promise God said about thorns and thistles. Wow. We share a fence line, obviously, with our neighbor, but they don't like to trim along their side of the fence line, and then the thorns start to grow, and then they grow over on my side, and I'm trying to trim them back. And This time I'm reaching as far as I can on their side, and I'm cutting them as back as far as I can. Because <laughs> I really get tired of it. But anyhow, we were standing outside, and I heard some yelling down the road, and I couldn't make out exactly what was going on, but it didn't sound good. And it made me think how wicked and prideful our hearts are. 
You know, I see a lot of contention in this world. I see a lot of people ready to fight one another on a drop of a hat or to whatever. It, people are just angry. People are hateful. You know, that's the natural man. That's what our heart is. And don't forget, Christian, if it wasn't for the grace of God to save you and I and put a new man in us, that's exactly what we would be. And if we're not careful, that deceitful, wicked heart still can raise its ugly head. And it's not confession time, but I'll tell you, every one of us in this room probably could admit there's been a time when that old man raised its ugly head and we said or did things we regret. We need to acknowledge every day, my heart is wicked. Hallmark is wrong. Don't follow your heart. My wife last night says, it's Valentine's. You got to watch a movie with me. I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. They didn't say it either in there. And I was happy because I didn't have to throw anything at the TV. Your heart can deceive you into believing you're okay when you're not. But your heart can also deceive you into thinking you're absolutely worthless. But God has loved you enough that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Your heart can deceive you into believing that you're a believer when you're not a believer. Now, I believe God will continue to convict you and show you the truth because I lived that for many years of my life where I had myself fooled for a while, but then God's Holy Spirit would say, no, you're not. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I convinced myself, you know. It really shows how wicked our heart can be. But what I just said a moment ago is our heart can also make us feel defeated, worthless, and insignificant. But you know, God has a purpose for your life. Now, I meet many who, because of maybe unfortunate circumstances growing up, or things that they've been through or whatever, or things that they've been told by those with a wicked heart that you're no good, you're worthless, and everything else, honestly believe they are. Now, I'm not saying we need to have this great self-esteem, but what I am saying is this. I need to understand I have value, enough value that God loved me enough to send his son to die for me. I don't have to understand why. I don't feel worthy of it, but there obviously is value that he would send Jesus Christ to die for me. And what he wants from me is to fear him and obey his commandments. He wants me to live for him. That doesn't sound like asking too much, does it? But going along to the Bible being a discerner, the Bible reveals the thoughts and intents of our heart. We see this in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So let's break this down. For the word of God is quick. It's an old word for alive. The Word of God is alive. You know, we've all read books, and some of them are definitely dead books, right? And boring books. Now that they're done, I will tell the class that took the Gospels. I think one of the driest writers is J. Dwight Pentecost. And the Words and Works of Jesus Christ is an amazing book. has a lot of information in it. But man, is it a great cure for insomnia. But when you actually read the Word of God, it's alive. It's exciting. It's powerful or effective. 
Have you ever read a book and you're like, okay, you could have said this in five words. I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, it's a book on uh, Calvinism. Uh, what Love Is This? Written by uh, Hunt's his last name, David Hunt. As I read through the book, I'm like, it's, it's like, a, I forget how many page book. I think it's like two or 300 pages, but it probably could have written in 100 pages and said everything he needed to say, but he repetitively redone it and likes to repeat himself a lot, just as I just did. That's about how he would write. It's like, you could have said that in about three words. But anyhow, it wasn't very effective in my opinion because it was so wordy. Verbose. Thank you. Wow. Now I feel smart. <laughs> but the Word of God is effective. And remember this. Every word is important. Every word. That's the beauty of reading the Word of God is there's not a bunch of verbose. It's not verbose. It's, it's just it, God states what needs to be stated. And here's the beauty of it. Because I remember learning this when I was in uh, one of our preaching classes. If you're going to preach expositorily, sometimes a topic will come back up a few verses later or maybe a chapter later. And here's what our teacher said. If God thought it was worth repeating, it's worth our repeating. I was like, I like that. That makes sense. Of course, God only had to say it one time for it to be true, right? But there are many things in Scripture that He chose to repeat. You know why? How many of you learned everything the first time around? I know I didn't. But the Bible then also is a discerner, or able to judge. It discerns our motives. It discerns our thoughts. Isn't it incredible, as we read through the Word of God, how it can convict us and show us, you're wrong in this area. You need to change. Here's an area that you need to grow in. Here's an area where you're doing it right. Reign steadfast in that area. Here's an area which... You're doing the right thing, but you know in your heart you're doing it for the wrong reason. Isn't it amazing how the Bible will help us see those things? God uses His Word to convict us of sin in our lives so we can confess and forsake it. But then the Bible also, with the discernment, and ye shall know the truth, will guide our way. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Psalm 119, 105, which we've seen already, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so do we want to know how we should live and what direction should we go? Well, it's amazing to me how many people are seeking direction and wanting to know what should I do. Then you show them from the word of God, oh, that's not what I need to do. Well, then... I don't know what, where you're going to find direction apart from the Word of God. Because I'll tell you, the humanistic thinking is not going to give you proper direction. It's going to lead to the paths of destruction. You want a true light? Follow the Word of God. So the Bible disciples, the Bible discerns. And then as we continue to look at this reason why we continue in the Word of God, verse 32, the Bible delivers. And the truth shall make you free. Free has the idea, set at liberty, free from the dominion of sin. Not a freedom to sin, but a rather a freedom from sin. See, many accuse us 
of believing that we can free to sin and do whatever we want. Matter of fact, you see in this area, I see more in this area than a lot of other areas, free will Baptist churches. So somebody explained to me the difference between what we believe and what a free will Baptist church believes. So because you have a free will, they believe that you can sin to a point where you lose your salvation. And I guess there's different levels of where that might be. So part of the reasoning for their belief of that is they say, if you believe in eternal security, then you believe you got a fire insurance from hell, and now you feel you can live however you want. So how would you defend that? So actually, in part, they're kind of correct in that we do get to sin all we want. Just God changes our desire. We don't desire to sin anymore. And that's the big part of it, is God changes our desires. Now, also, we understand as a child of God, when I do sin, God is going to chasten me because God loves me enough to bring me back and put me on the right path, right? So eternal security, the believer, does not give a license to go sin freely. As a matter of fact, it should be more motivation to want to serve Him and understand that I am going to stand before Him at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of my life, and don't I want my accounting to be a good accounting and not a bad accounting? When we sin, Jesus the righteous, the advocate, stands and reminds, if you will, that we are washed, we're under the blood. That sin is already covered. How many of your sins were future when Jesus Christ died for you? All of them. How many of your sins did he die for? All of them. Now, when I sin as a child of God, then it doesn't break the relationship, it breaks the fellowship. Dads, how many times did you come home from work and you're like, oh man, you know, when I get home, maybe I'll, you know, when your kids were young, I'll get out the Lincoln Logs and play with the kids, something like that, right? But when you get home, instead of that, mama tells you, you know, Johnny all day has been sassing off and he's been doing this and he's been doing that and he got in trouble at school and this and that and the other thing. So instead of having that sweet fellowship that you were desiring with your kids, you have to go into a different mode, don't you? The mode that's like, why? No dad enjoys it. Now, every kid thinks that, you know, their dad's lying when the dad says, this is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. Kid's like, yeah, whatever. But when you become an adult and you become the dad, you all of a sudden realize, man, this really does hurt. If it hurts us in such a way, and we can't have that fellowship with our child until the correction is finished, and they are truly, you know, confess what they've done, they're, 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 they, they get back where they belong, right? Then we can have that fellowship again. Why should it be any different with our father? Now, no father here has said, really? They got in trouble at school today? Man, it's a shame they're not my kid anymore. Now, we thought it. <laughs> but it actually never came to fruition, right? Because it's not like, wow, my child did wrong. They're out of the family. Well, that would, be, that would be the same way as if we could lose our salvation because we sin. All of a sudden, we're out of the family of God. How, how much sense does that even make? And there's so many other arguments against it. You know, 
If I couldn't do anything to save myself, how is there anything I could do to keep myself saved? But anyhow, the point being this, we have been set free from the bondage of sin, not given a license to sin. I am no longer a slave to sin. My son knows a lot more about computers and phones than I do. I was listening to my voicemail, and he goes, Dad, there's a better way to do that. So he grabs my phone, and it's not been the same since. Because he changed the default modes of my phone. He has borrowed my computer before, and the whole screen looks totally different to what it did before. Now I can't find anything on it. He goes, Dad, it's real simple. It's right here. Well, put it back where I had it. Anyhow, and then every time you start it, it's going to come up the same way until you put it back the way it was. You know why? Because this thing called default settings, right? The problem is you got to know how to change the default settings to get it back the way it belongs. But anyhow, we have a default setting. It's the sin. But you got a new man when you were born again that desires to glorify God. So now there's truthfully, and Paul talks about this in Romans 7, some, some may think Paul's talking crazy talk, but when you sit down and you go through Romans 7, it's not crazy talk because is it not true the things that I would do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And don't we all struggle with that at times? That is the old man versus the new man, and they are at war with each other. And inside of the, every Christian is this battle going on. I want to do right, but then I end up doing wrong. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And it's so frustrating at times. But thank God we have the victory in Jesus Christ. But Christian, if we want to live victorious, then we need to be in the Word of God. Because it's the Word of God that not only has set us free, but keeps us in the truth so that we can walk in, with him and in him, and so that we can be walking in the light and not in darkness, so that we can be living victorious and not in sin. You see, but then I can be not just have been freed from the bondage of sin, but not returning to the bondage of sin, not turning back to those old things. Because our old man's default was to turn to sin. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6. Why don't we flip over there and we'll just look at a few verses quickly. Romans 6, 13 through 14. I'm sorry, we'll start back at verse 3 rather. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. If he that is dead is, is, is freed from sin. <clears throat> now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ uh, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are under the law? Not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. Know ye not to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Christian, when I was born again, I was freed from sin. The old man is dead. I can live victorious in Christ. But Paul says in verse 11, Likewise reckon yourselves to be in dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I understand we still have that sin nature. I understand we still sin. But here tends to be the attitude of, well, it just happens because we're just sinners. But our attitude should rather be, I can have the victory in Jesus Christ. I don't have to serve sin. Understand then, if I am no longer a servant of sin, if it no longer is my default mode, I can have the victory in Jesus Christ, then when I choose, when I sin against God, it is by choice. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is by choice that I sin against God. But I can have the victory. You see, and as I grow in Christ, the victory should be more and more and more. I would love to think that our sanctification, our growth, is just a nice straight curved line. Wouldn't you like, like to think that's so? But it's not. We grow, sometimes we fall. We grow, sometimes we fall. Sometimes we grow. But you see what should be happening is I should be growing more Christ-like, and the valley should not be getting as deep each time. But here's what happens. Sometimes Christians will grow for a while, then they can fall completely off. And I have seen people... Men who've even been in ministry, who if you were to see them today, you wouldn't even know they were a born-again believer. Christian, we need to stop making excuses for sin and realize I can have victory in Jesus. i got to reckon myself dead to sin, alive in Christ. But Paul says in other passages that I die daily because the problem is, is that old man wants to continue to try to take the throne of my heart and try to rule, and try to be the one saying, I'm going to control here, and i got to keep reminding that old man, get, you're dead. I don't listen to you anymore. You're dead. Christ now has control of my life. And give him his rightful place in my life. Yielding my members as instruments of righteousness, not of unrighteousness. That's interesting. Again, the yielding of my members. Because you do realize yielding is a choice, right? And so to whom I yield myself is my choice. So am I yielding myself to sin and unrighteousness, or am I yielding myself to righteousness? Again, the Bible not only gives us the knowledge of salvation, it gives us freedom from the bondage of sin, but we can have victory over sin through, again, studying the Word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Being in the Word is going to continue to help us to contain, or continue to have victory after victory instead of defeat. 
But a Christian can still be dominated by sin if he's not growing in Christ. But I'm glad the Word gives cleansing. John 15, 3. Now you're clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. And I'm glad as we study the Word of God, as we draw closer to Christ, as we yield to the Holy Spirit of God, as He works in our lives, that He changes our desires. We talked about that earlier. He changes our desires. I no longer desire to live in sin. I desire for my life to please God. We all know the song that we used to teach the kids. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. There's been a great, great change since I've been born. Remember that song? No? Okay. Well, then you'd sing the second verse. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. And as you're singing this, I always notice one of the workers going out to see how much longer pastor has because then they had to get creative on the verses, you know. Place I used to go, I don't go there anymore. Place I used to go, I don't go there anymore, you know. But our prayer ought to be, as David said in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create a clean heart in me. Are we continuing in the Word of God? The Word of God disciples or helps us grow. The Word of God discerns. The Word of God is going to point out the truth of who you really are and what your motives really are. The Bible delivers us from the dominion of sin. Are we continuing in the Word of God? I hope, Christian, you can say, yes, I am continuing in the Word. But if by chance you have not been, and you're what we refer to as backslidden, you know the wonderful news? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can leave here today recommitted to God and to following Him and studying His Word. So let's bow for a word of prayer.